I want to talk to you this morning about how to start over. It's a good time for that, isn't it? Everybody's making all these resolutions. Everybody but me, I guess, is making a resolution. I made a resolution years ago not to do New Year's resolutions. That's one I've been able to keep. See, I like to make them simple for myself. I can keep that one. And I suppose there's good in that. If, if these resolutions had been successful, though, all of you would weigh about 100 pounds by now. I'd be looking at very, very thin people in front of me and trim and, you know, able to run a marathon. But I'm not, so I know that these resolutions don't always work. And I'm not really going to talk about New Year's resolutions. I, I don't even know what imp- of what importance I can tell you. Judy and I were awakened by the midnight fireworks last night. So we really put a lot of stock in New Year's. I enjoy, you know, the snacks that she makes, the little traditional foods. Uh, I didn't get, me and my father used to eat pickled herring together on New Year's Eve. And uh, my, and he, he and my grandmother would make, uh, you know, sauerkraut. And, and my other grandmother would make uh, black, we had black eyed peas. and We had black eyed peas and collard greens last night. And that's good. Cornbread. You know, we, we did some good. We mixed, I mixed the German and the, and the hillbilly Kentucky together for our new, but that's all fun. Uh, Judy Pult was doing something with that in the kitchen, pulled out some of these old pans, and these old pans we have are all beat up. And the reason they're beat up is because I was carrying on a tradition. That's how me and my brothers made noise on New Year's Eve. My mother gave us some pans and wooden spoons and stuff. We went out in the yard and beat on them and screamed at the top of our lungs. The only time we were allowed to do that, so we did it a lot on New Year's. And Judy did the same thing for our kids because I'm cheap. I wasn't going to go buy no fireworks. So here, here's some pans. She beat up all of her pans. And I like that. That's pretty cool. But anyway, we didn't even do that last night. And I realized, too, that what I've got to say this morning is going to be way too long. So we're going to cut it way short. May do two parts, may not. Because I realized last eve- late last evening, kind of going over this, it was way out of control. And the reason is because I added a whole new section this week to the sermon and to what I had early in the way. I added a whole new section. It's the best part of the sermon, so you're just going to get that. Notice how the Bible, the Bible uses this word new, starting over, and uses this word new a lot. It's a significant word in the Bible and in particular the New Testament. Notice even before Christ came what Ezekiel the prophet told Israel. They had been given the law, written on stone, but meant to go into their hearts, but it didn't seem to work for the most part. And he told them after they had been taken away into captivity that the ones that came back, he said, there's going to be something different about you if I can do it my way. He says, therefore, I will judge you, O house of Israel, God does, everyone according to his ways, says the Lord God. Now, I'm going to get too sidetracked here. He judges you according to your ways, each one. In other words... Your sins, your characteristics, the things that you do in particular that are against him, he will judge you according to that. In other words, if you commit sexual sin repeatedly, you can expect to receive the judgment that goes with sexual sin. And there are many judgments that go with sexual sin that are different than if you're greedy. Greediness, covetousness, has its own set of punishments that go with it and so this is what he says repeatedly in the bible we overlook this and we see different outcomes of different people's lives for this reason but he says i'm going to judge you according to your way says the lord god repent and turn from all your transgressions so that your iniquity will not be your ruin cast away from you all the transgressions which you have committed and get yourselves a new heart and a new spirit 
For why should you die, O house of Israel? That's pretty plain, isn't it? If you don't make these changes, you will die. And I think he meant spiritually here, maybe somewhat physically sometimes. Sometimes the outcome of our sin is physical punishment. Sometimes it does involve what happens to us here on this earth. I think a lot of it does. But most importantly, you need to be afraid of him who can cast both body and soul into hell more than you can just about the body. But anyway, he goes on to say in verse 26, he promises them, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, meaning of soft. So the flesh here is not used in a bad way. It's used in a good way, meaning soft and alive. He wanted their heart to be soft and alive, not cold and dead like a stone. So they had heard the law of Moses given by God, but they weren't doing it. They didn't didn't love it. They didn't treasure it. They had a heart of stone. It didn't change their behavior. He says, I want you to have a heart, the kind of heart that listens to my word. Now, I want to talk about this word new. I'm going to talk about the way it's used in the New Testament particularly, because there's three words that's used for new. I'm going to talk about the two main ones today. And I know it's not a Greek lesson, So, but the Greek word, in case you want to look it up, is kinos. Uh, and, and it denotes, and it's, we use the word new this way in English, but we use the one word new. So that's why it says new in your Bible. But when you look behind it and see what the original word was, you see the difference in what it means in each place it's used. Sometimes they're interchangeable, from what I can tell, but sometimes they're not. It denotes new of that which is unused, not new in time as recent, but new as to form or quality of a different nature from that which is contrasted as old. Now, in this case, most of us, we can, you can go down to the dealership and buy yourself a new car, but it's not, that's not new in this sense. Travis and Leanna have a new car. They have an electric car, a Tesla. That's a new car, the way this word is used. It means a new kind of something that's not been seen before. It's a different kind of that which is considered old. Now you could, and so, but I have, if I, I've only bought one new car in my life, and that just meant it was new from the Hyundai dealership. It was nobody ever used it before too much. That's a different word for new. He says, I want to put a new heart in you. And many of the verses we're going to read, we'll try to point them out a little bit later, are using new in this way. A new kind of something that's not seen before, as it were. Different than what you would, what it normally is. And so that's how this word kainos is used. Neos is the other word for new. You recognize Neo from uh, The Matrix. That's what his name means, new. You might have had a baby that was born. We had a granddaughter, Lilliana, I mean, Naomi, that went to the neonatal unit. NICU. Neonatal. Neo means new. Natal means birth. Birth or born. It's the newborn. It's sound. Medical people have to always make it fancy so they can get a bigger salary and make you feel dumb. It just means a newborn place. I'm sorry. I'm a little cynical there. but be, Beware of people that are trying to impress you with words that mean something normal. And they always say, like me, using kainos and neo, Greek words. You know, that makes, you know. Beware of that. Be careful about people like that. Um, but this word neo means it is the way we use it often, like new car. I mean, we went down and bought a brand new one nobody ever touched before. It's the same as the other one sold an hour before. They just sold one an hour before that was the same, but I got my new one. 
The other guy got a new one too. Not a new kind, just a new one in time. A new in respect of time, that which is recent. It is used of the young. In fact, that's one of the words for a newborn or a young person in the Greek. And so translated, especially the comparative degree of younger, according to what is neos, may be a reproduction of old in quality or character. It may be the same thing as the old in quality of character. It's just brand new. Neos and kinos are sometimes used of the same thing, but there is a difference. And so what you find is, thus, uh, Vine says, the new man in Ephesians 2.15, which we're going to look at, kinos, is new in, in differing in character. And so in Ephesians chapter 4, which we'll probably look at, but the new man in Colossians 3.10, Neos, stresses the fact of the believer's new experience recently begun and still proceeding. So the idea of a babe in Christ, someone is uh, going through the experience of being a brand new Christian and just learning, starting from scratch in a new life. That, that life is called new because it's new to them. It may be just like mine when I became a Christian many years ago, but it, that's for the meaning of the new. And sometimes it's used that way. It stresses the fact of the believer's new experience, recently begun and still proceeding. The old man in him dates as far back as Adam. A new man has been born, who therefore is fitly called Neos. Okay. So anyway, uh, I might do a whole sermon on a couple of these and some, show you all the ways it's used sometimes, because I think it's an interesting concept, the two things that are said to be new. And as Christians, we need to experience both of these things in the right way. And we need to realize that even though we're doing something that we do every week, come and worship together, or we're doing the same things we've done since we were young, that it is demanding of us something new. Christ is demanding that each day that goes by, you become more new. You become different than you were. And you will progress along the path from being an old man that you put away to a new man over here. You're progressing on that pathway every day that goes by. A lot of Christians get stuck in that. They're, they're baptized. They go away. They forget what they've done. They never really progress or grow. And so they stay new in the wrong sense for a long time. God is demanding more of you. Or they never really become any different than they were when they were a Christian. You, you know people like this. It may be uh, this is what causes many the church sometimes have a bad name, perhaps rightfully so, is that the people that are claiming to be Christians are not any different than anybody else. They don't treat them any different than the people that don't claim to be Christians. We see this all the time. Uh, we see these phonies in churches, and we see, phon we see phonies not in churches too, but we see phonies in churches who are pretending to be something they're not. They're not really any different. Nothing motivates them or changes their the way they do things when they become a Christian or so forth. They just wear a name. Now, let's move on a little bit. Note, here's a, here's a very prominent passage. That, none of the passages I'm going to talk about today are, are something new or brand new to me. I didn't invent these. They're familiar to you, but I want to, I'm probably using them partly because they are familiar to you to show you what these words mean about starting something over. Starting over again is the idea. So here in John 3, Jesus says to Nicodemus, this Pharisee, Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, here's this starting over, isn't it starting over to be born again? He cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus didn't understand starting over exactly. He did, but he didn't. But Nicodemus said, how can a man be born when he is old? How can he be new and start over when he is old? That's a good question, isn't it? He, he's a, he wasn't. We shouldn't condemn Nicodemus for this. He, he had probably at least a smarter reaction and a wiser reaction as any of us would have to this. 
He doesn't understand it. And Jesus is going to explain it's a new concept. Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb be born? Well, the answer is obviously not that we can see. So Jesus said, most assuredly, I say to you, that unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So this is the new birth. That's what's called in religious teaching, the new birth. To be born again is to start over again. And so this is this word new in the sense of, uh, uh, well, he's going to use it over here. Therefore, in verse 17, I'm going to use it in this passage in Corinthians, I should say. And speaking of this, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. This is the new kind. This is kainos. You have become a new kind of creature. The word creature here, sometimes it says, I think the King James has a new creation. I may be wrong about that, or it may say creature. Some versions say creation. Some say creature. doesn't make any difference. They mean the same thing. It's a new kind of creature, new kind of creation. So an animal is a creation, and here's a new kind that's not been seen before. And that's this person in Christ. So I hope that you understood when you became a Christian at whatever age that was. And this is why babies cannot be true Christians because they are not able to comprehend and do this. That you were intending to become something different than you were. And you intentionally stepped out on a path that is to make you new again. Babies don't need to do that. They're not lost. Unfortunately, for for some people's teaching, that's unfortunate because they teach that they are. But here he says you need to become a new kind of creature. All things to you as a Christian are now have now become new. So when you become a Christian, you end up having a new relationship to your parents. You have a new relationship to your wife or husband. You have a new relationship to your children. You have a new relationship to your work and your boss. You have a new relationship to money, for example. All these things have to be altered because now you're in Christ. And so whatever whatever your life touches has to be altered in a new way to, re, to react or to interact with that thing in your life. Unfortunately, that doesn't happen. It, and it may take years for you to see the connection, to see what really does need to change in those relationships. But surely everything should change because you're a new creature, a new kind of creature. It would all be different. Now, you find this used in a more... Um, in a different way a little bit in the book of Ephesians in chapter 4, which we kind of quoted earlier, uh, verse 22 beginning. Paul tells them they're breaking into the, I'm breaking into a bigger context so you understand that, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to deceitful lusts, and be renewed, there's the word new in there, in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and true holiness. A couple weeks ago, we talked about this in our sermon, the putting off and the putting on. There's two aspects. A lot of people in religion want to put off the old man. So they preach a lot and they do talk about what's wrong to do, stop doing this, change this, do that. A lot of our New Year's resolutions are that. They're the putting off of things that we don't like. It's important. you got to do that. People need to have the wisdom and the courage to put off stuff that's not right or not good or not healthy. But that's not enough, according to the Bible. You've got to be a new person, so you can't just destroy the old one. What you've destroyed has to be replaced with something new. And so you have to put on this new man. Now, I think we all struggle with putting off things that we shouldn't be doing or shouldn't be thinking. 
and we struggle with this, and it's difficult to make changes. We want to bare knuckle it through there and just say, you know, I'm going to say no to everything from now on. I'm going to stop doing, stop my addiction by saying no. You got to do that. But white knuckling it won't ever get you there. The Bible's clear about this. White knuckling won't get you there. Being in Christ and leaning on Christ can get you there. Making new rules for yourself will only avail you so much. I don't have it in this sermon, but when you look up in Colossians chapter 2, about the, about being, we can be deceived by making up our own rules and traditions about touch not, taste not, and handle not. We can make our own rules about that. We'll be deceived about how effective that's going to be. It will only be effective a certain degree. Beyond that, it takes turning your heart over to Christ. And once you change your heart and get a new heart in you, then your motivations change. So now you can actually conquer that addiction or whatever it may be that you want to change because you've changed your heart. This is the new thing. And yet that's in Colossians chapter 2. Now notice here it says, that I have there at the bottom, renewed literally means to make something brand new or to start over. Okay, So our, our thinking has to be made new, has to start over. You have to start over how you view sex when you become a Christian and your sexual responsibilities as human beings. You have to start over how you view money and your work and uh, your hopes and how, how, how important those physical things are to you, what motivate. You have to start over again and think that through to make it work. You can't make a few changes around the edges and make it work right. Doesn't, doesn't work like that. Renewed. And then, then he uses this word new man. He says, put on the new man. Different concept. That is a new kind of person. So when you do get, make a new, start over again, you're really making something brand new that's not existed before. Unfortunately, in, now to me, I, I know this seems esoteric, perhaps. I, I don't know if I have the power rhetorically or even intellectually to convey what I think this means or what I can think about this is that's what's missing in so much of Christianity for most people. Uh, they're missing the idea of what's, how to feel and to be something new that they weren't before. And I've met a few people that illustrate this in their life. They, they, by the way they talk, they know that they once were this way and now they're this way. And there's a line of demarcation from the day that they became a Christian and they were baptized. From that life to this life, it's very clear. For some of us, like me, who grew up in the church and knew about many of these things since they were, could even think, uh, and I became a Christian when I was 13 and was baptized, I went down to the front and didn't, nobody told me to do it. I was going to do it on my own, and I did that and stepped out there and did that on my own. I wanted to be something different, but I don't think I understood the concept of becoming a new person because I was young, for one thing, and because I didn't understand the whole concept. And it took me many more years to try to figure this out that the whole thinking was sometimes wrong. We just try to have a Christian overlay to our current system. And that's not good enough, usually. You know, Paul says in Romans chapter 6, verse 1, some more familiar passages about this. Big context, I'm going to pull out a small part of that. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? You know, if... If grace is the answer to sin, God's grace and goodness, 
Maybe the more we sin, the more we let God show his grace. This is what Martin Luther and some others, Calvin, taught about this in some ways. That the more you sin, the better it is in some ways. Because when you sin, you just give God's grace a chance to do more for you. And so Paul answers that question here. And I know, I know this. Well, you can dispute if Luther, Luther and Calvin thought this, but I know some of the Romans thought this. Which also says something about Paul's preaching, which we can't get into this morning, that people would come away with that idea from his preaching, which is different than some of ours. But he says, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not, or some versions say, God forbid. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Now he's saying, you know that when you became a Christian, you died to sin. You died to sin, meaning it's dead to you. You want nothing more to do with it. How can you live in it when you died to it? Well, you shouldn't be able to. Can you really? Yes, you can. You can, once you become a Christian, continue to live in sin. You shouldn't, though. God forbid, he says, or certainly not. Or do you not know that as many as of us were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? I don't think he's talking about something here that is ontologically impossible. By that I mean by definition. You know, black can't be white by definition. It's ontologically impossible. Is he saying that since you're a Christian, you can't live in sin? He's saying just the opposite. What he really means is you shouldn't do it. Not that you can't do it. You shouldn't do it. It, It's impossible to do it and still be right. That's what he's saying. It's impossible to keep living in sin and still be correct with God when you do this. So he says, therefore, in verse 4, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. Once again, I'm not trying to beat this point. I'm just trying to make it illustrate this. This is why a baby can't be baptized properly. Oh, you can, you can dip them in water. You can sprinkle water on them. But that's not what the Bible calls baptism. Because baptism here requires that the person being baptized is dying to sin of their own accord. And we're going to see that in just a moment. I'm going to show you why I know that's what it means in just a moment. They are doing it of their own accord so they can be something new. Babies can't do that. They have no need to do it. They wouldn't know how to. It's impossible. It's beyond their capabilities to do that. You can wish it for the baby. You can express your desire the baby do that, but that's what you do in infant baptism. You're just expressing your desire, but it's not really changing the state of the infant because they have to do that. Because when you die to sin, that's when you go down into the water, you die, and you're saying in that act, when you are let someone baptize you or dip you in the water for this purpose, for this purpose, you're saying to them in the world, I want to die to my old way of living. I want to stop living like I was. I want to start over. There's the sermon again. I want to start over. That's what it means to do. You have to decide to do that. And I just think sometimes people don't haven't gone through that process. And that's why when they get done with it, it doesn't mean anything to them. They'll go right back to living like they used to because they don't know what they were doing. Haven't understood that concept. But I've seen people who do this and the change in them is remarkable. I know a man who I used to have to go with his wife to get him out of bars. He was drunk. He had, he had reason to drink, unlike some of you. He wasn't just a soccer mom who felt overloaded by her schedule. This man, not only was he partly crippled, he had terrible family background, and he had 
lost a son at two years of age. The child stepped off the curb and the truck ran over it right in front of him. He had a reason. Better than most of us who ever took a drink to drink. He was trying to drown that sorrow. But I still had to go drag him out of bars with his wife. Trying to get him home. One day, I did all the wrong things. I gave this man a big lecture. Set him down in there. I said, how can you keep doing this? This is ridiculous. You're a, you're a disgrace to your wife. And I, I did everything wrong. I don't usually do that. But I did everything wrong because I was, I was angry with him. Because he, he didn't have to be like this. Well, the next day he calls me and says, can you baptize me? I need to, I need to be different. I've got to change. So we baptized her. He's never taken another drink. He didn't have to go through years of being a lip, of always being an alcoholic. He's never taken another drink. He's been a godly man, as far as I know, since that day. It's incredible. Is he educated? No. Is he sophisticated? No. But he became a new man. In a lot of ways, became a new man. I admire him for that. Despite his other faults, I admire him greatly for that because that wasn't really my case as a as a Christian. So he says, when you're raised up from this from the dead of this old life, the old life is dead. You raise up to a new life. It says, uh, even so, we should walk in newness of life. There's that new kind of life that you're going to live. Walk in it. You got to live it. You can't just talk about it. You see, he says, for if we have been united together in the likeness of his death. Certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Also, he says, likewise, you also reckon yourselves to, in, to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God through Christ Jesus our Lord. There's the reckoning. Being baptized, for example, in this case, starting this new life is a reckoning. This means to decide to account something to be a certain way. Like you make a reckoning with your books. So he says, you have to do this, to start a new life, you have to reckon that you're going to be dead to sin, you're going to make this change, and you're going to live a new life. I never noticed that before until I studied for this sermon, that that's what it says. It's an interesting thing. It takes away the idea of someone being baptized for you. It takes away the idea of you do, doing it when you're not capable of doing it. It puts the emphasis on what the person thinks when they're doing this. Therefore, he says, you should not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. So he says, now, this new life involves not only a, a reckoning of what you once were and what you want to be, a death to what you once were and what you now need to be, but he says it involves what you do from day to day, how you live. You present your physical members of your body and what you use, how you use them now to Christ instead of to wickedness, to your own desires, to, to Christ's desires. There's a fundamental change in what motivates you to act. You see, fundamental change, what motivates you to act. One thing you got to do it, and we're going to stop here in just a second. You have to understand the past. That's what I'm really asking you to do to make a change. If you're going to make any change at all, you have to understand what's gone before, why it's like that. I've been able, hmm, let, me say, let me say this correctly. 
I've been able, at least on a level that I can detect, I'm sure no one around me can detect, to make some changes in my life that occurred because I think I became to understand my past more in the last 10 years than I did before. I'm not, I don't even, I'm using 10 as a vague number. I don't know. It's been fairly recently. But you know, when you get this age, well, when that asks, when did you replace your water heater? Oh, we, water heater is practically brand new. Well, I'll go out and look at, you know, 2019. So to the insurance company, that's not new. When you're this old, they'll say, well, how old was this woman that you saw? Oh, she was a young woman. Well, she was 45 probably. You know, because when you're this old, everybody looks young. And so you lose track of, am I wrong, Stuart? I'm not wrong, am I? Yeah. Yeah, she's a young girl, young woman. So my boys are young. My boys are almost 45 to 50 years old, my sons, oldest sons are. And I think they're them as boys, you know. So you you got to take what a person like me says about young and old a little bit, understand it. But... But to me, it's fairly recent. But I understand my past better. That has helped me in my own brain, at least, and own heart, to do better, to think more clearly, and to understand things better, and to make some changes. It's not enough. Don't get me wrong. Not even close to enough, but it helps. Because if you don't understand the past, it's a hard time to do the future in the big picture of things. Here's what he says. Let me get off that. Just quickly wrap this up. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, when he came and lived in the flesh, arm yourselves also with this same mind. So you put this on as a weapon. This is a weapon you have in the mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. When you suffer in the flesh for Christ, you can stop sinning. That he no, no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. These Christians were fixing to suffer and had suffered. And he was, Peter was asking them to make a big change. He says, you're going to have to come to account your life as, you know, like B.C. and A.D. You have to account your life that there was a time when I did what I wanted to do and I didn't think about it. I just did what I wanted to do and it was all about how I could be happy, what gave me joy or what, and I live that way with respect to God and other people. Now, he says, in the mind, you have to have this knowledge that you can't live the rest of your life that way. Whatever time it comes in your life, whether you're like 13 when I was, whether you're 40, or maybe I baptized a man in this baptistry who was, who was 95 years old. 95 years old. Very few of us will even live that long. And he said, i got to change. I need to be different. He came up out of this water crying that day because he said, I, I, now I'm right with God. I can do better. It was, it was incredible. Gave me hope because there's the new birth. And this is what you have to experience to make a real resolution in the new year that will make any difference in your life. But you cannot, you must consider that all that time before was something that you're okay giving up. It's gone. I'm letting it go. And I'm not going to live that way anymore. He goes on to say, for we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles. When we walked in lewdness and lust and drunkenness and revelries and drinking parties and abominable idolatries. Now he says, in regard to these, your friends, they think it strange that you do not run with them to the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. You'll give account too, but you'll have something to stand on. Because you will understand the difference between the way I used to be 
way I used to think and the way I now think in Christ. That's the only way resolutions work. Half-hearted attempts to be a Christian, to serve God, to change your life, don't work. But that will work. It can make a difference. And it's difficult. This is the most difficult thing that you will ever do to truly make a change in your heart like that and be a new person and begin to see things more clearly how you relate to everything. It's painful and it's the hardest thing that you will do. But this is what God demands of us. I will put a new heart in them, he says. And it wasn't some simple operation. It was something that was going to require them all. Well, anyway, we've got to stop this morning. Thank you for listening. I do appreciate it. We're going to, well, I've got another whole half the sermon. Well, actually, that's where the other sermon began. So, so you see, I didn't get very, uh, I had written something some years ago and tried to revive it here. And, and uh, anyway, can't go on. But let's, let's close our service, our, this part of our service by singing number 103. Come to Jesus. And here we will give you a chance to come forward this morning if you'd like to make a change. If you've determined in your heart that I need Christ, I want to be a real Christian, I want to do what he says. And we'll, this morning, take your confession of belief in Christ based on your faith and your repentance. Not just a hollow confession, but one based on faith and repentance. And then we can baptize you into Christ this morning. You can become a new creature. Or this morning, maybe you've known the truth, you've walked, but you haven't lived, you haven't let the deeds in your life follow that path. We can pray with you about that. God will forgive if you want to make a new start. Start over again today. Everything can become new. Come to the front row and we'll talk about that this morning. Let's stand and sing.